And this morning, we're going to, um, before we dive into the sermon, I love what one of my college seminary professors said. This is the biblical proof for the existence of Santa Claus. Okay? Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Now you'll only find that in the King James Version. But ho, ho. I want to open with a question. Humanly speaking, what has been the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received? As far back as you can remember, maybe you were a little child, maybe it's when you were an adult, maybe somebody gave you a car or a piece of property or a million dollars. I showed up at a Christmas party last night and I had a wrapped gift and I also said, Rick, I've got $2 million for you and I handed them two of these. Uh, you'll find them on the back table if you're in need of a million or two. But um, I went online to try to find out what have been some of the best gifts that other people would say. And here's, here's what online told me was, in 1977, did you realize that the Star Wars action figures were some of the most desired gifts to receive? It still are. Okay. In 1978, it was Simon. I could, I would actually like one of those this year. That was fun. 1979, it was the Atari VCS video computer system. Later on, it became branded as the Atari 2600. That was a Palm. Palm. Yeah. <laughs> that was high tech back then. Um, by 1982, more than 10 million units were sold. That was big for back then. Um, not, not so much for now. It's, we're in a different scale. 1980, it was the Rubik's Cube. Hated it. <laughs> Still hate it. How many of you have ever solved a Rubik's Cube in this room? Todd has. Rosie has. But Over I, there, two people. I gotta admit, I cheated. You cheated. Someone showed me the codes. The code. <laughs> they used to have books that you could read and study how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Well, here we go. In 1981, a popular gift was the Smurfs. Uh, in 1982, it was the BMX bike. In 1983, it was the Cabbage Patch Kid. I remember it. It was like oil shortages. You know, running to the stores, looking for a Cabbage Patch Kid back in that time. Um, in 1984, the Transformers. Some of these things I've forgotten about, to be honest with you. Uh, 1985, Care Bears. Uh, 86 was Teddy Ruxpin. This is this must have been a bad year though. Right? Whoa, whoa, what is going on? There's my sermon, all at once. Uh, 1987, it was the Koosh Ball, and, and that must have just been an off year. I mean, I don't know what happened that year. Um, 1988, I'm gonna jump. This was the Nintendo, followed by the Game Boy. Followed by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That's ridiculous. Followed by Pogs. So you can see some years go uphill and some years go downhill in terms of what were... These weren't the greatest gifts of all time, though. They're, these just happen to be some of the most popular gifts of their time. You've got Barney. And now, one of my kids today would love to get a Beanie Baby for Christmas. That was a popular thing in one year. Tickle Me Elmo, the Furbies. Some of you remember Pokemon. Uh, then you've got um, the Razor Scooter, 
and brats. People wanted those. Um, this was a breakthrough year, though. 1988 was the Nintendo, and that really revolutionized color games in a different way. Followed by, um, in two, 2020, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 were the most popular um, gifts. This year, I am way out of touch. This year, they, the most popular gift is a, allegedly the Disney Pixar Lightyear Socks Robot Cat. Anybody know about that thing? That table over there. And back in the back. I don't even know what that is. But I guess it's the most popular thing. But for you, humanly speaking, what has been the greatest Christmas gift? TCR Racetrack. It's the first year they could switch lanes. TCR Racetrack. And did you have one of those little joystick controllers that was all, it had a wire to get there? It wasn't, wasn't wireless. It was wireless. It was wireless. Ooh. Nice. The TCR racetrack. Raise your hand if you have one of those. I think my grandma probably got some of those. Some of my favorite gifts. I remember um, as a little child at my grandma Wiggy's house. That's my mom's side. And that year I got a stuffed turtle. It was like a stuffed animal for Christmas. But the thing was you could put your hand in and it would be a puppet. And it had a storage area if you wanted to hide your secret candy or your garbage or some clothes. You could stuff it in there to kind of hide stuff. And it was just, you could use it as a pillow. And when I was a little kid, that was my favorite gift. Then as I grew up, um, I remember Buttermilk, Kansas. I was in fifth grade. We lived in Buttermilk, Kansas, middle of nowhere. And I can't remember if it was the Sears catalog or the J.C. Penny catalog or both. Those catalogs would come and you could go through and you could envision in your mind your wish list and what you want. And that year I wanted a watch for Christmas. I remember under the tree, a little box, I unwrapped it. There's this beautiful blue watch. Only I was just a little fifth grader. Kind of the size of my daughter Delilah back there. And this was like an adult watch. I put it on my hand and you guys remember that at all? Or maybe not, I don't know. Got the watch. But I was too, big, too, too little for it, it was too big. So I think we sent it back. I, I don't remember keeping the watch. But really, the longer I thought, what was the greatest, humanly speaking, the greatest Christmas gift I ever received? I was, um, it was 1991, it was my senior year of college. I was out in Virginia, um, it was December, and I had no money to get home, back to Oregon. I had. Basically, two options. One was to sit in a cold, dark dorm room, empty. The whole building would be practically empty all the month long of Christmas. Out of the blue, this girl, I barely knew her. I really didn't know her very well, but Shelley showed up and said, Hey, would you like to come home with me for Christmas, with my family? And, and it's all kosher. You'll sleep in my brother Andy's room. And, and we live in Georgia. And by the way, we're going to be going down to Florida. We're going to go to Disney World for Christmas. And so if you want, here's your option. Sit in a cold, dark dorm room or have an all-expense-paid trip to Georgia and go to Disney World for Christmas. And that was a really tough choice. So I ended up in Calhoun, Georgia. And we had um, a really great time. Um, Christmas Day came. 
after we'd gone down to Florida and gone back and traveled all around. Christmas Day came and the family was opening up gifts under the tree and one gift went to her brother Andy and then to her mom and then to her dad and then to Andy and then to her mom and then to her dad and then to Andy. And finally her mom interrupted and just said, hey, um, the reason that Shelly doesn't have any gifts under the tree is because we told her. She could either get presents for Christmas or if she really wanted to bring you home, she could bring your, you home for Christmas and that was her Christmas gift. I mean, my heart dropped at that point. Uh, you know, uh, it went beyond the lump in the throat. I just kind of was dumbfounded. She, she, she didn't get anything. And, and, and not having much money, I didn't really get her much of anything for Christmas either. The greatest gift, selfless sacrifice, what she gave up for me so that I wouldn't have to pay the price of being alone, sitting in an empty dorm room in a cold room with no place to go. That was probably, humanly speaking, the greatest Christmas gift I've ever received. When it comes to God, what do you believe God's greatest gift to us has been? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and in all their vast array, he created everything in it. He set everything in motion, everything in its place. He made people. And in no time at all, through Adam's fall, sin and death came to us all. Sin has affected every one of us. And so if you start in Genesis and you work your way through scripture, scripture takes us on a journey. It takes us from Adam to Noah to, to a time where the world was so wicked that God just wanted to wipe mankind off the face of the earth, save for Noah and his family. Noah was found righteous in the eyes of the Lord, and God spared Noah and his family through the flood. And last night, if you were at the Colton Lutheran Church, I thought Pastor Carl actually gave a brilliant message. He talked about how so many Sunday school classrooms have Noah's Ark, and all the animals are popping their heads out. And why, why do people paint Noah's Ark in nurseries and Sunday school classrooms when if you really get down to it, it's a horrible story in some ways. How wicked man got to where God wanted to destroy everything. But the grace of God that spared Noah and his family in the ark. Amen. We move forward from there. We go from Abraham to Moses. God says, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to raise up my people. Generations call you blessed. Moses, God's people trapped in slavery and God delivers them out of Egypt. After Moses, it was Joshua to the kings and the people saying, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. The first king they chose on their own, a man named Saul, was a dismal failure. But God raised up David from a boy out tending his father's sheep to be a man after God's own heart. Believe it or not, if you know his story, it's twisted. It's messed up. It's not perfect. He wasn't a perfect person by any stretch. And yet God saw fit to say, I promise through the line of David, I'm going to raise up my ruler, a leader, a king over my people. And so from the early beginnings, from Genesis 3, and the law was given, and then the prophets, 
The sum of history and of scripture predicted and pointed to the coming of a future Messiah, Savior, Lord, and King. The, the Messiah was predicted to come from the seed of a woman, from Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, a descendant of Jacob, from the tribe of Judah, from the house of Jesse, from the line of David, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, a priest forever. One who would be called king. There are over a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to a future Messiah, a long-awaited deliverer. The span of Adam to Jesus was 4,000, roughly 4,000 years. All of human history culminated to this point where the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians chapter 4 writes this. He says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as His people. At just the right time, when the fullness of time came, we could wonder why it took so long from Adam. Why did we have to go through the wilderness and the tabernacle and then the temple? Why did we have to have all those wars? Why was God calling out? There's, there's a lot of whys. And even, even for us that follow Jesus, we still run into questions all the time. But you know what? God calls us to move forward, to, to, to trust Him, to, to set our eyes on this only begotten Son, born as a baby. If you went to the Malala Nazarene Christmas program, Missy so eloquently put it that Jesus came small, small, and defenseless and vulnerable and human. God sent his son and his son was his greatest gift for man's greatest need. God's greatest gift for man's greatest need. And so here's some facts about that nativity story that we read about in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 21. First of all, Mary and Joseph did not have a car did you know that? I know back, back in, the, it was probably around you know, 3 to 5 BC, somewhere in that zone. They didn't have a car, and yet they took an 80-mile walk, 80 to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, over the hills and around the bins. I'd like to say through the woods, but I don't know if there's a lot of woods in that arid part of the world. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, the Roman ruler, he issued a decree. He wanted a census to be taken of the entire Roman world. His purpose was to tax, to get money from the people. Some would say it was wrong or unfair, but this was the first census, Scripture tells us, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke, in his examination, he begins the book by saying, I've thoroughly investigated these things, and now here's my report to you. He time and time dates and he puts a stamp so we have a time frame of Christ's arrival that coincides with actual historic events. It says everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Prophetically speaking, this was the only way God could send his son 
because prophecy foretold the Messiah would come from the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I mean, that whole story, <laughs> that whole story has kind of a sordid twist to it. But that's safe for another chapter. I want you right now just to imagine walking from Oregon City to Tillamook, Oregon. You're going to walk to the coast. That's what the journey would be like. That's, think of how long that would take. And, and Mary's pregnant. Even riding on a horse or donkey would be uncomfortable. By the way, we don't see the horse or the donkey that Mary rode on in Scripture. I don't believe but that's one of those things. It's speculation. It's probably a fair enough guess. Then it says in verse 4, while they were there, excuse me, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now I'm reading out of the NIV 2011, which is a modern translation of the New International Version. If you grew up in the King James Version, like I did half the time, we get familiar with there was no room for them in the inn. And we picture the innkeeper, we picture the, the little desk, they're going to go in, they're going to check into a room, and the guy says, I'm sorry, we don't have anything, uh, but we have this, this barn stable thing out back, you can go there. That's kind of the thought process that goes through our mind. It's interesting that the NIV has chosen to use the word guest room when the King James Version uses the word in. They did not have, though, a Motel 6 or a Ramada Inn in Bethlehem. And there are some scholars who would, who would say that by their best calculation, there were only about 300 residents in Bethlehem at that time, the city of David. And, and because people had to go there because of this census so that they could register, so that they could be taxed, many people would say, well, they stayed in the barn in the back or a stable in the back. But the Greek word in, that, in Luke chapter 2 for in probably meant the upstairs of a house. It, Luke uses the word cataluma, and it's the same word used for the upper room that Jesus met in for the Last Supper with his disciples. The upper chambers. And since so many friends and family were in town for the census, oh, that's a party. The upstairs of the homes were probably filled by people who arrived sooner, by those who arrived first. This isn't like a critical issue. So if you have Jesus in the barn or Jesus in the cave, he's still born in a manger. Their homes, though, oftentimes underneath the upstairs would be an area where the animals were brought in for the night where their bodies would give off heat and their bodies would heat the house. And we still get that imagery. There was no room in a nice place. And Jesus was born in a manger just as Scripture said. The manger was the feed box for larger animals. And in the manger, newborn lambs were also placed to keep them warm on cold nights. What's the significance of this? Who was Jesus? The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, who were the first ones to receive the good news? It was the shepherds. 
The shepherds were the first one in Luke 2 to receive the news about the birth of Jesus. Luke 2 tells us that there were shepherds living out in the fields. They didn't, go, they didn't just go there to work their shift. They, they were living in the fields with the sheep, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Sometimes those who are on the lowest end of the totem pole are some of the hardest working workers you'll ever find. But the shepherds were considered the lowliest of low, unclean, the uncleanest of the unclean, the, the social outcasts. As Andy Stanley would put it, not many people wanted to go hang out with the shepherds. And yet they were essential workers. Because these shepherds, Bethlehem wasn't too many miles away from Jerusalem. The lambs they raised were very likely lambs used in the temple sacrifice. And God in his sovereignty chose them to send the first greeting, the first invitation to make the first announcement. Those of you who have, have children or have had children before, when you had a child, who was the first person that you made the announcement to? Who were the first ones that you wanted in the room, if you even wanted anybody in the room? Some people have them in the room before the child arrives. God, in his sovereignty, chose the shepherds. And it says in verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, the shepherds, and they were terrified. Love the King James Version, though, sore afraid. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Do you realize what an act of faith it would be? Now granted, the angels appeared. The glory of the Lord shone around them. There was more than one. But to believe that, okay, if I go into town and I go, I'm going to find in a manger a baby that was born wrapped in clothes. And Jesus was there just as the angels said it. Now, here's another fun fact, not found in Luke chapter 2, but actually in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We do not know how many wise men visited Jesus. Scripture doesn't say. It says, Magi from the east, royalty like kings, astrologers. They saw his star in the east. They came to worship him. And yet they're a very important part of the story. Royalty and nobility. You've got the shepherds, the lower class. You've got royalty and nobility from a distant land, the upper class. In fact, when they traveled, they traveled in a cavalry. They had soldiers. They had guards. They had supplies and equipment. Scripture never says that there were just three. What scripture does tell us is that they came bearing three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold representing royalty, that Jesus was the king of the Jews. They even announced that to Herod when they entered Jerusalem. Frankincense was used in the temple as a fragrance of worship. And myrrh, myrrh was a perfume used in burial. Jesus would later go to the cross. And these gifts 
may have very well financed their plight to Egypt as Herod, when he heard about the news, as soon as the Magi appeared into Jerusalem, the whole city was disturbed. King Herod, as soon as they left and didn't return back with the exact location of where Jesus was, he sent orders for his soldiers to go into Bethlehem and kill every living male two years and under. Jesus, with Joseph and Mary, escaped a fulfillment of prophecy. These, as with so many of the other elements in the Christmas story, are so rich and symbolic in their meaning. Hopefully when you read it, when you hear it, you think again how much depth there is that God included in the account of His Son. Then hone in on the pronouncement, verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 29, we already referenced this. He is the Lamb of God who, will take, who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's greatest gift for man's greatest need was God's only Son. Why? Because God knows us. And he sees us. He saw, he sees how small and how defenseless and how vulnerable and how human we really are. Our desperation, our depravity, our hopelessness. Sin separates us from God and so we are in need of redemption. And the greatest gift God sending his son now becomes the greatest message. Not just the greatest story. But the greatest gospel, the good news that God loved us so much, he sent his only son to save us. There's so much more to the story. You know, his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign and his return. How significant it is today that we are gathered here on Christmas morning. If you look around you, I love how this place becomes a full house by the time things get going. Last night at the candlelight service with Pastor Carl, he said something, or at least I thought I heard him say something, and it kind of struck me wrong. It caught me off guard, and, and he said, this is the last time we will celebrate Christmas on a Sunday. And, and I thought, what? And I whipped out my phone. I had a panic attack. I got on my calendar. I started scrolling through. You can do that on your app where, okay, every, certainly every seven years it's got to land on a Sunday. Scroll, 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 scroll. The next time Christmas morning lands on a Sunday is in 2033. And I might have heard it wrong. He may not have said exactly that this is the last time we're going to meet on a Sunday. Or maybe it's a different time and date stamp. Maybe we'll all be in some other place. Look at your life right now, 11 years from now. Add 11 to your age. That's the next time Christmas morning will fall on a Sunday. And, and so I wasn't sure, did I mishear him? Or you know, maybe he's being prophetic. 
Because if we look at the way the world is going, many people are saying, how long can this go on before the Lord returns? Before God says, that's enough. Yeah. I don't believe climate change is going to destroy the world. I don't believe artificial intelligence is going to take over mankind. The Bible says peace. They're going to cry out peace, peace, but there is no peace. And at some point, the end's going to come where God says, okay, that's enough. My son is going to return. Are you ready? Ready or not? It's amazing that at, at just the right appointed time, if you want to get prophetic, the book of Daniel talked about four kingdoms. And at the fourth kingdom, at the appointed time, God sends his son precision point with history. And whenever God says to his son, taps him on the shoulder and says, it's time for you to return. That's going to be now. Amen. It's going to be final. The arrival of Christ to earth, he was not just another ordinary human being. It was one of the most important dates, if not the most important date to date in all of human history, but the next greatest event in human history will be the Lord's return. I have this in my notes. I was pondering it. I, no offense when I say this. If we look at what the greatest gift that you've ever received, what has it been? What's the, the, the greatest gift that you've ever given somebody? What's that been? And I understand the importance of family and getting together and, and having fellowship and breaking bread and, and eating food. I understand the importance of love. Loving our family, loving one another, loving our neighbors. We love ourselves. I was doing a poll in the community. I said, what's the greatest gift you've ever received at Christmas? And my friend said, it's been just having all the family together. It's one of those one or two times a year where everybody just comes together. And that love for one another, the roast in the oven, the unwrapping of gifts. But, but there's something in my heart that aches when we say on Christmas morning, celebrating Christ's birth, this is the place where we gather. And the reason we do that is because the greatest gift ever given is found right here in God's word. It's found in the person of God's son. It's the greatest message for the greatest need. And you can give people all kinds of things. All kinds of presents, all kinds of gifts. When I went to that party last night, I said to my friend, here's two million bucks. But inside this million buck is the gospel of John. Because the greatest gift is the message of the gospel. It's salvation. It's eternal. That if you have Jesus, you have life. If you have Jesus, you have hope. I don't mean to step on toes, but how I wish so much more that people would say, hey, family, hey, friends, let's all get together. We're going to go to church for an hour of our time. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to worship our, our creator, the one true God, our Lord and Savior. This is the most important thing that we can do. And I want you to know him too. And so my challenge this morning is that greatest gift that God's ever given becomes our greatest message. The message of a gospel. The message of eternal life. For God so loved the world he gave.
Uh, the scripture continues in Luke chapter 2 and it says this. It says, Suddenly a, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, look at verse 17. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Here's my challenge to you this morning. As I am challenging you to take God's greatest gift, the greatest message, and go tell somebody else. It's... It, what if that's the greatest gift you could ever give? The price has already been paid for. Jesus did it on the cross. Come and freely receive the gift of eternal life that God gave us in the sending of His Son, Jesus. When I look back at the greatest humanly speaking gift that was ever given to me, one of my greatest regrets was this. I didn't have much money. But I look back and we had been in a supermarket. Her name was Shelley and we were walking down the aisle and there was this macaroni and cheese. It was called Shells and Cheese. And just trying to be cute, trying to be fun. I bought a couple of boxes of that and stuck it under the tree. That was the only thing she, she received. I didn't just have a lump in my throat and odd in my stomach. I felt ashamed. She gave me, she sacrificed everything just so I'd have a, a place to go. And, and I didn't give a whole lot in return. And there's, there's times in my life I thought, you know, if I just inherited a big sum of money and I'd look her up and see where her life went and how her, I wish I could just bless her and her family with something great because of the sacrifice she made. It's just a humanly speaking thing. But when it comes to you and, and me and the people in our lives that we care about, the people that we love and this message that has been given to us, I want you to think about the gospel. Because while I was out in Georgia, and her dad was a missionary, he worked for a group like Child Evangelism Fellowship, and I went to a couple of community events where he spoke to kids, I went to a couple of Sunday school classes, and every time, every time he got up to speak, he made it a point to share the gospel. And he'd start with the letter G. I can't remember what he said, I looked it up online to try to find something, some would say the gospel means God offers sinful people eternal life. Others would say God's only son provides everlasting life. Or in six words, God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life starts Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. I want to challenge you, and if you've got a bulletin this morning, you, this is in your notes, but maybe make up your own acrostic. G-O-S-P-E-L. G, God loves you. O-S, our sins separate us from God. P, Christ paid the price for our sin on the cross. E, eternal life is only found by grace through faith in Him. L, 
live for him. Because life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Would you like to know him today? I heard last night up in Elwood, Tony Coleus gave a message. And at the end of the message, there was no bones about it. If you want to get saved, do it today. Here's how. I've always liked to say what my sixth grade Sunday school teacher told me. Coming to Christ is as easy as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. B, believe that God sent His Son, that Christ died on the cross for your sins to save you and rose again. And C, come to Him. Come confessing your sin and turning to God. Putting your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation. There's many ways. I want you to, another assignment, think of ways that you could communicate then the greatest message to the greatest human need about God's greatest gift ever given to man. How could you do that? And in doing that, maybe start to pray. Pray that God will open doors, that he'll give an opportunity, that the words will come naturally, that they'll be asking questions, that you'll know exactly what to say because he'll enable you through his divine empowerment through the Holy Spirit and through His Word. Because I believe the greatest human regret we could see is this. The Gospel of Matthew tells us toward the end that there's going to be a great judgment day. All the nations, all the people will stand before the judgment throne of God. He's going to separate the sheep from the goat. It's interesting the, how the lamb keeps coming up and the sheep and the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. But imagine standing there with the sea of humanity and you're, everybody's all together and you're looking around and you look across the aisle. You might be on the sheep side, but you look across the aisle and you've got a friend. You've got a family member. You've got somebody you worked with, somebody you did life with together. And they're standing over there and they're looking at you for the last time. And they're saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you reach out? Why didn't you let me know this was so important that I needed to accept Christ? Or be eternally damned forever. The Bible talks about a place called heaven and a place called hell. An eternal lake of fire. We've got the greatest message. We've got the greatest hope. We've got the greatest gift of the gospel of God's one and only son. Today, if you hear his voice, God wants you to come. Whether you're here in the crowd or at home in your living room, wherever you're at right now, maybe you consider what my dad did when we were kids as a family. It's Christmas. Before we open gifts, we're going to open God's word. We're going to read the Christmas story. Let me tell you about God's son and what he's done for me and for you. You don't have to be perfect to come to him. And we're going to close this morning. We're going to close with a song that was shared to me. I want to thank Candace Wyatt. She shared a song. What is the greatest gift you can give? The greatest gift ever given. The greatest need ever known. The greatest book ever written. The greatest message ever told. The gift of the gospel. The message of eternal life. The good news announced by the angels. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. Go out and tell someone that they might know Him. 
that Jesus, our Savior, he died for our sins, is risen, is reigning. He's coming again. Use this song as reflection and may the Lord speak to you.
God loves you. And that's why he sent his son. He wants you to be with family, to enjoy the celebration. Only he wants you and them together forever. And that's why it's so important to know him. I hope that you'll take what we've talked about and give some thought. And in the back for you to take freely this morning, we've got Bibles that can also be colored in if you've got colored pencils or crayons or markers are made for that. We've got the Gospel of John. You've got the message. You've got the word. You've got what God has done in your life to take and share it to others that they, that they might know him too. So God, this morning we go thanking you for sending your son the greatest gift, greater than anything we could come up with. And salvation, we can't earn it on our own. We're not good enough to get to you on our own, but you made a way through your son and what he accomplished on the cross, his victory over the grave, his resurrection, his reign, and his return. So we look to you. Thank you, God, that there is joy Thank you that there's hope. Thank you that there's glad tidings. Thank you that we can have peace in our hearts. May we take this now and share it with somebody else and many, many more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you. This week we talked about the greatest gift. Next week it's the greatest goal. God bless you. Go out, love, peace, and serve the Lord.